the goal of the, the project is to ensure that, especially in a time of changing climate or ongoing long-lasting droughts, uh, to ensure that the communities that depend on these natural resources can sustain them over the long term and manage them themselves. Welcome to the Field Notes podcast, the podcast where we highlight interesting uses of Esri field apps. You just heard from Elizabeth Naro, Director of Monitoring, Evaluation, Learning, and Adaptation for Tanzania People and Wildlife. In this episode, we talk with Elizabeth and her colleague Ramadani Omari about how Esri field apps are being used for local community conservation efforts. Hi everyone, this is Josh, and today Demaya and I are with Liz and Rama, who both work for the African People and Wildlife Organization. This is an organization that envisions a world where Africa's people and wildlife coexist and thrive in vibrant, healthy landscapes. Much of this vision is realized by efforts on the ground and engagement with communities through a variety of projects, many of which involve GIS. Liz, Rama, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, Maya. I guess to start off, could you both talk about what African people and wildlife, what the organization does, and also what your roles are within the organization? What do you do? Sure. So African People and Wildlife is a U.S.-based 501c3 NGO, uh, but we also have a Tanzanian-based NGO uh, called Tanzania People and Wildlife. Uh, And TPW, this sister organization, uh, we're based out in Simanjiro district uh, in Tanzania, just on the border of Tarangiri National Park. Um, We focus on both wildlife conservation and human wellness jointly uh, with the goal of the organization to ensure that both people and wildlife are benefiting from each one of our various programs that we'll talk about later today. Uh, As for my role, uh, my name is Elizabeth Nero. I'm the Director of Monitoring, Evaluation, Learning, and Adaptation. Been working for TPW now since 2018. And my role has evolved not just to focus on donor reporting uh, on our metrics for from a monitoring and evaluation perspective, but we really like to focus in our team on that learning and adaptation piece. Uh, And that's where our our use of GIS has come in, learning more about how our programs are actually affecting communities on the grounds. And I'll pass over to Rama. My name is Ramadan Staidi. I work for Tanzania People and Wildlife uh, since 2019. And I basically deal with spatial data, you know, analysis, uh, data acquisition, uh, trainings, and I work with, with the community. Um, in fact, right now, I'm out in the field working with the community. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you both so much. I think it's going to be really awesome to kind of hear from both of your perspectives um, how you accomplish a lot of, of what your mission is with, with GIS. Um, and I think as we both told you, this whole season is focused on um, different aspects of environmentalism and conservation. So it's really, really great that you have both, you know, the wildlife conservation component of it, but then also the human wellness, which obviously often often go hand in hand. So I think for our next question, just at a very, you know, maybe high level, Liz, you got a little bit at this. Um, how do you incorporate GIS into your work and, and what has, how has GIS benefited your, your workflows? We have incorporated GIS into every aspect of our work. 
uh, most specifically into the data collection for each program. Um, you know, a lot of data, I think, especially before GIS was such a mainstream tool, were collected on, you know, perhaps in Excel sheets in a, in a kind of matrix. And since we switched to using uh, the Esri platform, I kind of think of all of our data now as an attribute table that is just the, the piece that kind of sits underneath the, the spatial data. Um, so for each one of our programs, there is a component of data collection, which Rama will talk about a bit later with the, the tools that we're using. Um, and we use this to map wildlife movement routes. We use this to map out the you know, socioeconomic factors that affect our programs. We use GIS to map village boundaries and understand land use planning better at a specific village level. Um, and then, of course, we use it to map trends over time in things like human-wildlife conflict or, like I said before, wildlife movements if they're moving more into settlement areas or staying more densely in protected areas. Uh, so, yeah, at this point, I think in our organization, in our organization's growth, GIS is, is embedded into our culture. I think kind of focusing in a little bit more on one of the projects that your organization works on, uh, let's talk about the Sustainable Rangelands Initiative. Could you kind of give an overview of what this project is, the goals of this project, and maybe some of the environmental challenges that the program is hoping to focus on or consider? Yeah, so the Sustainable Rangelands Initiative began back in 2017. Uh, and at, at its foundation, it was aimed at protecting grass and water resources for the pastoral communities that make up most of the beneficiaries, beneficiary communities of our programming. Um, many of the Maasai people that we work with are pastoral, which means they're completely dependent on grass and water resources for their livestock, uh, which, which keep their, maintain their livelihoods. So because of that, the goal of the, the project is to ensure that, especially in a time of changing climate or ongoing long lasting droughts, uh, to ensure that the communities that depend on these natural resources can sustain them over the long term and manage them themselves. Uh, there's a lot of top-down management of natural resources. Um, you know, all over the world we see that. And, and here in Tanzania, we also try to make sure that the communities, the village, the village level decision makers have the information that they need to best inform the decisions about land allocation for their own natural resources. As for the environmental challenges, I think, uh, yeah, I mentioned a few of them. Climate change, obviously, is one of the main challenges that we face here, and the effects of climate change. Uh, shifting dry and rainy seasons, uh, long-lasting dry seasons. We're in the dry season right now, um, though this year, I think we're expecting El Nino this year, so we'll see how that changes people's uh, understanding of, of their of their land. Uh, and we also face face a lot of anthropogenic challenges as well. Um, population growth as well as the resultant livestock population growth that that goes along with human population growth um, and settlement encroaching on protected areas. Um, 
or the opposite of that, people and communities being stripped of their of their land rights. So these are all challenges that we face when we talk about a landscape where natural resources, uh, people are dependent on natural resources and they live right at the boundary usually of protected areas. Definitely. Um, and I think, you know, I love what you said too about making sure that these communities can be self-sustaining. So not creating a system where it's like, of reliance, but of, of one where they can use these tools and they can monitor um, and manage these resources for themselves. And especially in a time, as you mentioned, of, of rapidly changing climate, uh, management of those natural resources could it's could be argued, but it's it's more important than it than it's ever been before. Um, sure, so I, yeah. yeah. So I think maybe like going into the GIS of it all with relation to this project. Um, so what kind of GIS components or or apps are y'all using um maybe both from a setting up the GIS perspective but then also you know kind of what you're using on the ground as well about the the GIS components and, and, and application that we use and I think I'm gonna I'm gonna divide this uh, into two groups that there are some application that we use in out in the field and some of them uh, we use them in in, in the office um Starting with this app called ArcGIS Tracker, and this is um, the mobile app from Esri that we use for tracking um, activities. And this has been used by our village game scouts, our drivers, and, and human wildlife conflict assistants. They use this uh, to track their movements while they're doing their job uh, daily. And we have ArcGIS, uh, we use ArcGIS Collector in the field. and and since uh, we use established plots to do the range and mountain monthly, so um, sometimes they, those data collectors or uh, range and monitors might they might forget uh, those points because we do monitor uh, like rangelands in the same plot in the same point every every month. So Agis collector will help you like uh, we will load it with a map that will help those monitors to, to navigate to their points to do the range and mountain monthly. And uh, as well, we have um, survey one to three. Survey one to three, this is, um, this is like a, a universal and mostly used, uh, the application that we use the most, survey one to three, to, to do the data collection. And we, we use this to, to collect data across all our programs. And yeah, after collecting the data, the data has to go to the, to the ArcGIS online and 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 we use we use dashboard to to make or to to to, to create the information that will be useful to be displayed in the community uh, for 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 you know like uh, decision makings uh, for their resources you know and we use also story maps this is one of the applications as well that we use in the office to create our our content. Yeah, and I think a big part of kind of implementing these GIS tools where people are using them on the ground, a big part of that is kind of like that onboarding process of making sure people know how to use the tools so you're getting that data. Could you talk about yeah. how, um, what the process is of teaching community members how to use these um, GIS tools? And I think you as a, as a trainer or as a teacher, you need to familiarize yourself with the, with the application um you know uh, the application just do the do the research um about the application know everything about it and you know know your audience 
because you know we are, we we deal with the community that uh, most of them we're going to find they don't have that uh, they are not that literate so uh, some of them they might not be even aware of like how using uh, how to use smartphones because these applications as we all know that they use they need uh, smart devices to work um, so you 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 you're gonna need first to to train them like a bit on how to use smartphones and. There is a difference in, in the audience in terms of literacy and the experience of using smartphones. There are those that um, we, we used to have them back then before Survey 123 when we, when we were using ODK. And they kind of used to those data collection uh, mobile, mobile data collection tools. And so Survey 123 is not that um, hard to understand for them, but we, we have those because we expanding and we we might go to the to the landscape that we ne we we have never been there we have never used any any mobile data collection tool before so it's it's the fresh start so again you need to to understand your audience who um who understand or who knows how to use smartphones and 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 the technology and yeah so after having that um first information then you will know where to start about giving them some tips on using the phone and and, and starting teaching them the, the technology, survey one to three. And this usually takes um, like three to four days, you know, like uh, theory, theoretical part in the class and we'll do the, 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 the field part. And um, after doing the field part, uh, what next will be doing the actual, the actual um, exercise of data collection. And we usually uh, have them for the, like be with them for for the first three months, right? To make sure that they have they they're all confident that they can use the, the the application and they can collect data well. And we have been really really successful because that spending time with them for the first three months will 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 enable them to be to be confident on the data collection and maybe reducing errors and collecting um, clean data. And you know, teaching teaching uh, community, it has been easy on some parts. You know, like you don't have to tell them about what is the color of the grass or their perception, the quality of the of the of the of the grass or that range uh, of that rangeland, because they have been doing it even before our technology. And like right now, as as I mentioned earlier, that I'm out in the field working with the community and we're in the first month of doing the rangelandy uh, monitoring. Yes, in the first month. And uh, now we just, you know, apart from that train that we, we gave them in the class and maybe some practice where now we are doing the actual exercise and and and, and continuing to teach them and, and building their capacities on, on data collection, which has been really, really, really su successful because um, the data that we will get after those three months of spending on them is gonna be clean. And even if even if it happens that they face some difficulties during the data collection after we, 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 you know, we leave them with the tools because the aim here is to have that self uh, they, they self like they can do their this data collection on their own that's why we spend this much time they can do the data collection on their own without any any help and so if they face any difficulty they can always call and i'm always uh, ready to answer their calls and fix their problems if if it happens they 
they encounter some problems. Yeah, so that's how um, the process of teaching the communities uh, on our side. Very cool. Yeah, I think it's it's kind of what you were touching on before, this whole idea of you kind of have to meet them where they're at, right? And just kind of, yeah. you know, you know, and but I love your point too about how they know the data that they're looking at because they've been doing it forever. It's just introducing this this mobile component. But once you have that down, then it's like off to the races. Yeah. yeah. So Maasai community, which is like um, the community that we work, um, like most of our community here, pastoralism and, and, and it's a Maasai tribe. They usually have this habit of, of sending people out in, the, in, in their rangeland plots, in their rangeland areas, like, they can send two people like they, they, they I'm, I'm speaking about the uh, indigenous knowledge or maybe a traditional way of, of assessing of doing the, 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 the monitoring of the rangeland, right? They'll, they'll, they'll send two people or maybe three, like you guys go to this area and see if that area is, is good for, we can take our cows to that place, right? So you see, they have, they have always have this system of, of going out and doing the, the the monitoring, so it's it's we're adding a little bit a little a little bit a piece of 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 science to it, you know. It's trying to quantify what 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 they have been doing and and you know um, trying to have that um, information uh, that they can this the good information that will be available for decision making. Yeah, definitely. I wonder if you could go into to that as far as like once the data has been collected. What have been some of the results, or or how has it influenced the decision making? Yeah. Um. So after the the after we leave them doing the data collection on their own after spending the phase of three months, so the rangeland team will have the the timetable, maybe the schedule, I can say, uh, of going to the village, uh, every village to do the feedback meetings, right? You know, to talk about like to to do to do some interpretation of the of the results from the field and talk about you know, doing, doing some discussion on the, on the condition of the arrangement and, and maybe um, uh, make some decisions. And one of the, one of the thing, um, one of the thing that uh, the results that I can, I can tell you is, is the invasive, invasive species and invasive species, one of the, one of the, of the, of the information of the data that we collect from the field. So once they see that the invasive species at that area is growing, and since uh, TPW, we have this uh, small project, we call it a local impact project. And this is the project that uh, is for, you know, small activities like that. So after seeing that, so they're gonna need funding to do the, the removal of that uh, invasive species. So after seeing that the invasive species has degraded the rangeland areas and it's in a, in a, in a, in a stage that even their cows don't, be, don't benefit anything from that area then they can apply for the funding. And once they secure the funding, we will help them with, um, I'll do the baseline survey before the, the removal of that, of the invasive species. And, and so if they secure the funding, then the activity will go on. And that area will be a little bit improved by the removal of the invasive species. And one, one other thing that I can mention here is the increase of the awareness and, and more strict to the grazing plan that we, we insist or we teach these people, you know, the importance and significance of, of, of having the plants, the grazing plants, you know, how, because now that we, we, we understand how 
uh, climate change and maybe this unpredictable uh, rainfall pattern has been. And, and, and even the effects, the like hunger, and even their, their cows have been, you know, died a lot because they don't have a plan. And sometimes um, we need to, to train them on how to allocate their areas, you know, to do the, the rotation grazing, they call, right? So once they see that, the benefit of doing that, so I think it is the, it is, I think it's, it's like a system that you install to their system. And even if we, 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 we don't work with them anymore, they'll be able to continue using that system for their own um, benefits in the resource management um, on, the on the community level. I know we've mainly focused on the Sustainable Rangelands Initiative um, during this conversation, but are there any other examples of how GIS is used within the organization, both within this initiative, but also in other programs as well? So the Sustainable Rangelands Initiative is just one of our programs. Um, we also use uh, Survey123, among other apps, for our human-wildlife conflict prevention program, or we're now starting to call it human-wildlife coexistence program. Uh, it's a similar model um, where we have community members who are already traditionally in the role of responding to incidents of depredation. So that's lions, leopards, cheetah, hyena, attacking people's livestock. Um, but then we give them these tools, we train them on the protocols and they go out into their communities. And when they hear of conflict incidents, um, they go and they record that data, um, which helps us then see trends in human wildlife conflict in general, but it also helps to reduce tensions in the community um, around human wildlife conflict because they know that one, there's a response, you know, members of their own community, um, the young warriors are not only there to respond, but they're, they're collecting data on it that they know is coming up to an organization that's trying to assist them then through well-designed programs like our Living Walls Initiative um, to help them mitigate that conflict in the future. We also use GIS in our Women's Beekeeping Initiative uh, this helps us identify points of, of degraded pasture where beehives might be particularly useful in restoring that, that area um, through native species proliferation by the increased presence of honeybees. Um, and then we also use it as a, a data collection tool for, for the women themselves to record their harvests, you know, which areas are producing the most honey, which trees have a certain number of hives hung in them. Um, so that's kind of been a, an interesting use of it, almost as more of a business management tool than strictly a, a spatial data collection tool. Uh, and I think Rama mentioned yeah. before as well that we've we've used it in a few of our other programs as well, like a vehicle tracking and whatnot. Yeah, and you know, Village Game Scouts uh, urine patrol and as you know, I mentioned earlier about the the the, the GS components or the application that we're using, and one of them I mentioned is um, the ArcGIS tracker, which they use that for tracking when you're doing uh, patrols and survey one to three, uh, when they're filling out the forms for the incident that they they face during uh, their work. And not only that, and we have this uh, human wildlife conflict assistance. Um, these are the uh, these uh, they, they they come from the the village. They are among the village, the, the among the community, and you know 
we also they also use tracker to track the movements because they do uh, they, they, they do movements, you know, like looking at areas if there have been some incidents, um, you know, and it, filling out the forms about the the requests of the of the um, living walls, you know. We have living walls, and if people want uh, organization to help them with um, with the living walls, uh, so this assistance will go there and, and fill up the form using survey one two three. And even after they have built the living wall, they have to fill the form, and it's, it has been the work for our HWC assistance. It's so cool to hear how many different ways that y'all are using GIS from data collection, situational awareness with the tracking thing, being able to get funding to have kind of data as a, as a proof of like, hey, we have this invasive species here. Um, so from the business end of it, um, I mean, Liz, you you mentioned this before, but I mean, really it is is, is integrated in almost everything both of you work on, it seems. Um, and because you're both like experts on this stuff, we would love to know if you have any advice for our listeners who are hoping to implement um, maybe more specifically some of the mobile GIS into their own projects, maybe just anything that you've learned throughout both of your journeys with this? I think from my experience, what I've been through with these uh, mobile uh, data collection tools, I think the first thing to do will be do the research of the tool. You know, on the side of the people with the with the tools, those who are going to train or maybe are going to deploy that, that tool, they have to do the research of the tool, know the requirements, and compatibility of that tool to the devices. Because, you know, we have been in a situation that even 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 if all the, the even if all the requirements are met for a particular application to, to work in a device, but sometimes there are issues that are specific to the devices. So just do the research on the tool. Uh, ask around like which which device, which device is 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 good for, for this um, uh, to be compatible with this application. And you know it can be frustrating sometimes. You know, monitors or maybe data collectors they can be out in the field, and they can face problem. We face problem like maybe when you have the question of GPS. You know, sometimes sometimes GPS doesn't load. It can give you, and and you have you have set the the location on, but those coordinates that doesn't come up. And sometimes you want to add the photo in that form, but you know, you try to, to, to add that photo and then the, the survey crashes. So we have faced those problems and and I have come to a conclusion that there are phones that they are not compatible with the application, even if they have all the requirements. Because you might you might find maybe survey one, two, three needs a, a device or maybe a phone with a Android version five, maybe and above or maybe uh, this RAM and all that, but sometimes they meet those requirements, but they, does, they, doesn't, they are not compatible. So just ask people that they have used the app with the, uh, with the different devices and, and know exactly like what, um, what um, the phone is, is, is good for, the, um, for, the, for, the, for that application for your work to, to proceed. And another thing is, please test your devices and phone before your deployment. Yeah, that's very, 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 very important. You don't want to go out in the field, deploy the, uh, the app or maybe the form without testing, and then you, you, you see the problems, you come back in the office, you want to try out again and maybe to fix or to troubleshoot. Just do all that work in the office 
And then if you deploy, you just sure that this is going to work. So do some testing um, and, and try to send that data to the, to the dashboard and see if, if the information that you, you wanted to show that in the, in the dashboard are, are the ones that you, you really wanted to, to see. And I think, and something else is, is when we, because we are dealing with the community and they are the ones that they should be making decisions for their resource users, right? So I think it's kind of important to consult them when it comes to like what information is useful for them to do, uh, to, to make decisions. And that will enable us to, 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 to come up, to come up with a, what kind of like, um, data that we're going to collect from the field, you know, considering uh, as well with our methodology approach and all. So consultation and see that, do they need to, do they need to, to, to see the grass hate, right? Every month, they wanna see a picture, they wanna see uh, invasive species, what do they wanna see exactly? And once they tell us what they wanna see, and then um, we'll, we'll sit down and, 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 and come up with a, with the kind of data that we, we have to collect on the, on the field. So that's would be my advice on my side. Yeah, that's great. I would, I would even add on to, to what Rama just said there about the, the invasive species piece. Uh, and this would be my piece of advice uh, for the listeners as well. Um, it must've been 20, 2019 when we had some of our officers out in the field and they first were speaking to the communities were particularly interested, not just in the presence and absence of an invasive species in an area, but on its trend. Is it proliferating or is it is it not? Um, and because of this, we realized we had to adjust the entire protocol and add a, a repeat into the form where they, you know, drop a quadrat at 20 different points within this plot to get a sense of if that species is present within that quadrat. Um, and then over time, you see if it is proliferating or not. The communities then were, were interested in seeing this displayed in a dashboard as, as a line graph. And I don't know if I can get uh, too technical here, but to give a little bit of the background, in the original version of the form, we realized that one of the, uh, the question on, on invasive species frequency was in a string type, <laughs> despite it being a number, as opposed, to a, as opposed to a numerical type question. And because of this, we trained all of the community members, the monitors on this protocol, sent them into the field. And when we went to display it in the dashboard, it's not reading out the way we wanted it to. And we, we couldn't actually display it in a, <laughs> in a line graph. Uh, so we had to recode the entire form, uh, including a, you know, changing each one to a binary, yes or no, a one or a zero, uh, and include as well a column because this, the particular calculation that we needed to do is not something that can be done uh, in, within the uh, XLS form coding. You know, it, it's too complex of a calculation. It requires that feature set by relationship name code within Arcade. So because of this, we realized that we had to recode the entire form, add a column to our parent data set, and then Rama about once a month runs this Arcade calculation uh, so that the dashboard now updates each month in these line graphs showing the trend over time of those of each individual invasive species. So from this 
lengthy story, <laughs> um, my piece of advice would be to make sure you know exactly what you need in that dashboard, what you need as a data collector and what the community decision makers need before you design the tool. And then when you're, as Rama was saying, when you're testing the tool in pilot or you've deployed it to community members, you're not just testing and making sure that the survey itself works and it's feeding data back into Arc Online, but you're running the whole data flow through to your dashboard and even maybe to a story map or a hub where you might have that dashboard embedded to make sure that the calculations that you have are running and that the entire process, even if it's with dummy data, is working the way you want it to before you then deploy it in the field and spend three months training your community members so that you don't have to go back and train them <laughs> again right. on a different protocol. Right. I feel like that's like such a big thing that we hear about often too, is like you, you set everything up. You're like, this is good to go. You get out, you've done months of work. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh my goodness, we're like collecting the wrong data. And then it's like even more effort to either create those arcade scripts or retrain everybody. So I think that's a great point is something we could stand to, to inform users more about is really take the time to design that data structure and design that form and, and think about what is that information you want um, and then testing it too, as you were saying, Rama, as well. Yeah, getting getting your schema right before you train people on it because once if you do have to change something uh, about the schema itself, particularly if it's the data type, uh, you guys know this, I'm sure, but if you republish that form, it overwrites yeah. Um, so you do want to make sure that you don't have to overwrite and then append all of your historical data. Right. So Liz and Rama, if folks want to learn more about some of the programs that we've talked about during this conversation or other ones that African people and wildlife focus on, where can they go and learn more? Yeah, so they can obviously check us out on our website, AfricanPeopleWildlife.org. Um, we also have a Facebook, the same handle, uh, an Instagram, the same handle at African People Wildlife. Um, and of course, the, the Mila team, that's our monitoring, evaluation, learning and adaptation team. Uh, we're here to help. Uh, we have gone, you know, <laughs> through the ringer on this process, uh, been really deeply involved with with some of the amazing solutions engineers at Esri also, uh, you know, have them on speed dial for problems and, and they've been fantastic. And because of that, I'm more help, more than, than happy to help with questions and, and problems that people have. So people are also more than welcome to, you know, shoot me an email. Same with Rama or anyone else on our, on our monitoring and evaluation team. Happy to help. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Well, be careful what you ask for, uh, because people will send those emails, I'm sure. Yeah, how many um, people are going to listen to this podcast? Yeah, exactly. Um, well, we hope a lot, and I think a lot, especially with, with again, just I think the the richness of the experiences that both of you have had with this project. We were so appreciative that y'all have come on to to share some lessons learned, some advice, and really just to hear about some incredibly interesting but also important work that you're both doing. So. That's about all the time we have today. But again, we both just wanted to to thank y'all so much for coming on. Yeah, thank, thank you for having us. Thank you for listening to the Field Notes podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to Field Notes on your favorite podcast streaming platform and make sure to join us on the next episode.